Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by the United Ways of Chautauqua County. United Way is a nonprofit organization that mobilizes the community to help every person and family improve their lives. Donations to the United Way stay 100% locally in our community and get invested in more than 40 community-based programs. These programs help students achieve academic success, families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit uascc.org or call 716-483-1561. Chautauqua County Executive P.J. Wendell sat down with us to discuss everything from the big Dunkirk DRI announcement to the Jamestown Airport study. We welcome County Executive P.J. Wendell to the WRFA studios this morning. Thanks for being with us today after uh, a long a long week of, of events and appearances. Yeah. And so uh, we'll start right off with uh, the first big news story of the week, which would be that the uh, city of Dunkirk is receiving downtown revitalization. Uh, downtown revitalization initiative funds from the state uh really exciting news they put in a dri proposal once before and as eric reich said from empire state development uh, once you put one in if you don't make it the first time then they tell you what the the hindrances are what your deficiencies were and the next time you put that same application in you usually get it you know knock it out of the park so that's what happened here with dunkirk a lot of great ideas a lot of great opportunities um, I know the IDA, our Partnership for Economic Growth, was instrumental in helping assist them. I know Jason, our new uh, media PR guy from uh, the IDA, was helped uh, do a drone footage uh, to help that. I do want to give a shout-out to Vince DeJoy, the $20 million man. He was able to secure $10 million when he was working for the downtown revitalization with Jamestown. Now he's in the city of Dunkirk. So he's... Uh, been able to accomplish this twice in two different cities. So it really takes a lot. Um, you know, he knows how to make this happen. So exciting news, a lot of development going down there. We looked at some of the investors, Scott Fairbrother, Peter Krogh, Dan Gittemar from JCC, who's part of an initiative down there potentially to move JCC more into the city of Dunkirk. So really exciting news and happy that, you know, I, I, I defend this all the time because people get criticizing the government or criticizing Chautauqua County that, oh, you know, things are bad here and people are leaving. And, well, you know what? The government is not going to invest. The state's not going to invest $10 million if they don't see the potential in an area. So exciting for the news, exciting for the opportunities. Really looking forward to the projects that they're going to be uh, putting on with this money. And uh, the projects are still have to be submitted to the state or the Regional Economic Development Corporation for approval. But we did get a hint of some of them. I heard everything from a, a water park to a brewery to, I think, JCC having a presence downtown. Right. You know, I know Peter Krogh and Scott Fairbrother, the current owners of the Graff Building with Dan Reinega, had some uh, conceptual drawings of what they wanted to do to improve that site and increase the footprint down in the city of Dunkirk. We also JCC. Uh, as, as the county's moved out of that building, the JCC wants to occupy more space downtown in Dunkirk. So really exciting opportunity. Breweries, water parks, just so many opportunities uh, you know, for the city of Dunkirk as this money comes in. Right. And uh, thinking of other uh, things happening in the county that you know are related to economic development, uh, last week we had the Chautauqua Lake Protection and Rehabilitation Agency's meeting, which we had anticipated at that meeting. We were going to hear more about what path forward they were going to take with uh, funding initiatives on for Chautauqua Lake, but that's not what ended up happening. No. So one of the processes was the, the commission, the agency was formed under, under uh, Assemblyman <laughs> Senator Bellow, who was a county executive when this happened in 2017. 
And the group was then tasked to come up with, uh, you know, finding as to whether or not how we would find new funding sources for the lake, continual funding sources. Age old argument, yes, it's a state's lake. The state should be putting money into it. The county should be putting money into it. The county does put money into it currently, and we do have 2% tax money from our occupancy tax, but that money is not enough to sustain it year after year. So what we're looking at um, would be a a property tax. I really was never a big fan of that because it would be another property tax on, uh, you know, homeowners in and around Chautauqua Lake. Now, what's unique is if you drive along 394 in Mayville, there's houses in 394. So there's only one tier in that that instance. But, you know, in Lakewood, I'm about three or four blocks from the lake, and I'd still be in that same tier because I'm between 394 and the lake. So, you know, I'd still be paying, although I'm really nowhere close to the lake, and right now I don't have a boat. So, um, you know, I just, you know, use my friends' (laughs) boats when they offer me the opportunity. So I could see the argument that some people had as they'd be paying a tax if they don't obviously use the lake. Um, with that decision that came through, that CLRPA group has been disbanded. That immediately I wrote a letter and a little bit of a white paper, if you will, and a project uh, moving forward on um, you know boating, boat usage fees. So again, a human power boat that has to be registered, a rowboat, a dinghy, flat bottom. Any human power boats would have a certain price per year that would go into this general fund. If you had a boat of 40 horsepower and below, it would be another fund. I, I threw out, you know, two hundred dollars for forty horsepower and below. Forty horsepower and above would be two hundred dollars for any vessel, regardless of the size. Um, so that money, if if you take those simple numbers, and if you look at last year's report, we got twelve thousand boats went through CLA stewardship program, which was checking boats for weeds before they went into the lake. If you use that number of twelve thousand. Using 200, it's going to be $2.4 million, not the astronomical $10 million that we were talked about in the, with uh, Barton and Judas, uh, but a more appetizing number, much smaller. The other piece with that is right now our foundations are funding our lake efforts to the tune of $800,000 or roughly you know, between seven and 800 based on their generosity. What that would do is allow our, um, our foundations to go back to founding other, you know, funding other activities and putting that lake funding on the lake users and people that are actually utilizing the lake. How do you administer that? You put it in with general fund. It's administered by the five elected town supervisors, Ellicott, Ellery, Bustai, Chautauqua, and North Harmony. To get into it more and adding more depth into that committee, then you add the four elected mayors. Again, elected officials that have a piece that isn't county-driven, but rather knows the unique needs of the, of the towns bordering Chautauqua Lake. So it's an opportunity which just in its infancy, infancy, we just started discussing this. We'll, you know, and more to follow. Mm-hmm. And with uh, that point is that there, there was um, some criticism of, well, what's this, what's the strategy? How is this money going to be used? And to your point is that it sounds like the money really is being, has a designation that it basically we go toward what is being used by different uh, organizations already. Correct. So what I would like to do is create or actually fund a lake management company that would come in and manage our lake. The CLA does a great job of mechanical harvesting. CLP is committed to herbicide use and working hand-to-hand with CLA, but also you have the watershed that does a lot of the preventative maintenance that people don't realize, and it's really not as immediately impactful or visual as, let's say, herbicides or harvesting. So between those three organizations, getting everybody together, using the science that's been studied from the Jefferson Project, focusing on harmful algal blooms and looking at NC State on our um, macrophyte um, levels in the lake 
and different studies that have been done from other organizations, putting the science together, taking all that together, and having a path forward. Everybody's moving forward every year, but now what is a consensus, and what is the organized path moving forward? You know, our boats are traveling the same direction, but they need to be in line. You know, again, if you're, anybody knows anybody following a boat, you have somebody breaking the water in front of the boats behind them, you know, the, the path is easier as you follow in their wake. Well, the same thing here. We want to make sure that we're all going in the same directions, working in efforts to improve our lake. We're working closely with the DEC. New Region 9 uh, Director, Julia, Hanley, uh, Julia Barrett O'Neill. I keep throwing your name in there. <laughs> Julia Barrett O'Neill has worked with us, and she's got a lot of, a uh, uh, lot of, you know, um, understanding of Chautauqua Lake and a lot of opportunities for us to, you know, utilize the DEC moving forward. So really excited about the opportunity moving forward with that. Mm -hmm. Now there is um, precedence with uh, Lake Lake George has the boat fee. So what what's the process? Is it a home rule kind of situation with New York State that in order to have a fee put in place? I believe so. We would have to, you know, petition to the state. Our, our state senator and assembly would have to carry that to the floor. And we would hope that those on the floor would realize that this is what we feel is a right need. And it's, you know, the boater fee, it's using the people that actually use the lake are paying that fee. And anybody who uses the lake would contribute to it, not focusing on homeowners. For example, you know, the town of Carroll, the town of Charlotte, Cherry Creek, Arkwright, they don't want to pay funds for Chautauqua Lake if they're not going to use the lake, right? So makes sense. Now we're going to, again, focus on the users and hopefully the senator and assemblywood would understand that and be able to carry that through to the both bodies, both houses of the legislature. A lot of economic development uh, topics for today. Uh, another one I want to focus on is this uh, Jamestown Airport Feasibility Study that was funded with $25,000 by the IDA board uh, this week with uh, remaining $50,000 that would have to be approved by the county legislature. So we're anticipating this is going to go before the legislature in February. And uh, do you? what are your plans for if they decide not to go forward with it? Well, you know, if they decide not to go forward with it, very disappointing because we We've seen and I think we've demonstrated and explained enough that this is the missing piece. It's the, the million dollar question, if you will, for our, our, our airports. You know, those naysayers are going to say, you know, we do the airport fees, the airport um, market analysis. They'll come back, you know, if we come back and say it's not supported. See, we told you, look, we were, we don't know. We haven't asked the question, right? We've asked a lot of questions about the, the, the airports, but we haven't asked the right question. I focused on that when I became county executive. I wanted to take all the studies, put them on a table, have a consultant look at the studies that have been done before and say, what are we missing? There's something here. Well, we did one better. We hired Shannon Barnhart as our new airport manager, who, by the way, worked for a consulting firm. When she came in and we said, hey, we need to focus on essential air service, she goes, this is a missing piece. A market analysis has never been done. The market analysis was done by um, Boutique but there never was a general market analysis. If, if I wanna bring my airline into there, of course, I'm gonna show a very favorable market analysis, right? But let's look, let a third party come in and, and pull the users, pull the, the community and find out, is there really support as a market to continue this essential air service? If that says yes, we move forward. If it says no, Shannon's already got plans in place to pivot continually focusing and expanding our operations at General Aviation Airport and maintaining some phenomenal facilities. I mean, the people that fly into Chautauqua County airports in Jamestown and Dunkirk would blow your mind when you realize the high profile people. So really excited, we wanna provide that opportunity. And uh, you know, one of the things we're looking at right now are T-hangers. They're small hangers used for small general aviation use. 
In Akron, New York, there are 60 tea hangers that are filled with a waiting list. Those individuals come down here to use our two maintenance shops, one Rose Aviation in the north and Chautauqua Aircraft in the Jamestown Airport. Phenomenally, Chautauqua Aircraft is nationally known for their their, uh, their maintenance and their um, instrumentation uh, packages. So, again, bring those people in, bring those small tea hangers, get them occupied with renters, make sure people can use our services, the FBO, et cetera. So really excited for the revenue increases should we you know, move away from an essential air service airport. Mm-hmm. And like my concerns about the legislature is that back in 2021, this was something that this study was proposed to be funded using American Rescue Plan funds for the 75000 And so do you feel like this will be more palatable now that that amount that maybe could have to be used of ARP funds is reduced? I think so. It, you know, and, and you made a great point that more palatable, you know, the concern was, you know, do we need to spend 75000 It originally made the first cut. You know, it got to the ARPA funding. It was part of our package, and it was earmarked 75000 72000 actually. But what happened when it came to the final proposal or final approval, it was turned down. And I get that. I understand, you know, the frustrations that some have had. But I think this analysis is not like anything we've done before. So hopefully it's favorable and it's not committing everything. We see now the IDA and our economic development team has skin in the game and, you know, we're ready to move forward. Hopefully this goes through without too much of, of, a, of a hiccup. But uh, I understand people have, you know, some passionate views on this. Mm-hmm. Staying with the county legislature, we had a meeting last night. And one of the things that came up new on the agenda was uh, a settlement with uh, – opioid settlement with Tiva Pharmaceuticals for amount that the county would receive of $957,804. And uh, some of that money, there's a, a portion of it that is undesignated in terms of how it can be used. And there's over $500,000 that has to be used toward the opioid, opioid crisis. Uh, so in terms of what is this, what are your plans for how some of this money will be spent? Uh, one of the things we got to plan on and one of the things that's always been in the back of my mind is when I first became a legislator, discussions of the opioids or excuse me the tobacco settlement funding and how fast the tobacco settlement money was spent and somewhat how frivolously it was spent on different opportunities and, and programs very little of that money actually went to tobacco cessation programming so as we discussed and as we entered into these class action suits my commitment to then steve abdella was this money will not get spent on anything other than the opioid epidemic and what can we do to help our residents so a lot of this right now is going to be funded for our MAT, our Medically Assisted Treatment Program in the jail. We have Dr. Falk, our new uh, interim medical director or health director. He wants to expand that program into the community and, again, providing opportunities. So the money will be used right for that. I know there's been some requests for uh, you know, tax stabilization funding, et cetera, et cetera, but I, I'm committed to fo- focusing all of this money on prevention programs and or treatment for our opioid crisis in the county Mm -hmm. and one of the things that and you've mentioned before is that you know you have a new mobile crisis unit within departmental hygiene do you see being able to expand that that crisis unit with this funds the hope is we will be able to increase that but also hopefully that we could um you know help funnel money uh, i don't say funnel maybe then i pass money through to other organizations that are doing uh you know helping with the treatment peer counseling is a big one um, peer mentoring. So again, a lot of opportunities out there. We have a lot of partners in this fight. So we're going to, you know, hunker down, make sure the money goes to the right places. And I do not want it spent on administrative fees, salaries, etc. I want us focusing on some of it will be on salaries for the administration. There's some high level things that need to happen with the MAT program. But for the most part, we need that to get into the hands of the right people to provide the treatment. I'm going to put you on the spot. Maybe you know the answer. Do you know how much money the Chautauqua County has received from the settlements? That I don't. Uh, several million. And it's all, I guess, kind of pledged. You know, it's going to be paid out over time. 
Um, so, you know, we, I want to say it's 9 million plus, maybe closer to 10 million now, but don't hold me to those numbers because what they said, they do is they set us the settlements and I'm really focused on how much money we're getting annually as compared to, yeah, because it's yeah, it's kind of like if you win the lotto and and you 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 opted for the payment plan, <laughs> you may have won ten million, but you're only going to get two hundred thousand a year for the next thirty years, right? So we need to focus on what are the annual payments coming in and where that money's going to go. So yes, in general, right now we've received some solid funding sources, but um, again, it's it's not the entire lump sum coming in. So it will be you know paid out over time. So making sure that we understand that money coming in is really what's important. All right. Other uh, item that was on the legislature's agenda last night was this uh, local law that created a media information officer position. And uh, this is something that uh, I would say the Democrats had some concerns about this, and they cited that the number of employees that are in your office right now, as opposed to, say, 10 years ago. And one question I had was, uh, is it, do you really, you have seven employees in your, or is this titles, or well, how does this work? Uh, if you go into my office daily, there are... Right now, including myself, there are three others. And one of them is a compliance officer who came over under Vince Horrigan when we closed the county home. The person was focused on compliance. And this is a full-time job in Chautauqua County. When you look at compliance from you know, all of our licensed individuals and what they have to do. So it's a partnership between, let's say, mental hygiene and the county. Other compliance programs we have with our funding, different title program, Title VI, title, different title programming from federal government. How do we focus on, you know, we had some HIPAA violate or HIPAA breaches um, through technology before. So that compliance officer oversees all of that. They oversee the ethics training. There's so much that the compliance officer does, but that office, that title is in my office. They operate out of my office, but they don't work for the county executive. It's not like, hey, I've got a little extra time. Is there something you want me to do? Do you have a press release or an article? No, that person focuses on compliance. It just happens that their, their job is in, in my office under the budget. I could easily put that out to anywhere. We could put it in finance. We can put it, actually, we've talked about putting in human resources. So boom, I'm down to six people in my office right now. Another position is uh, Mark Geist, Deputy Director, Deputy County Executive of Economic Development. As part of his salary, at the time when the position was created, there was a separation of the Planning Department and the Development Department, or Planning Department and Economic Development Team. We brought that all back together under one roof. We saved salaries. We saved money by combining that and making a more efficient, effective government as I've pledged to do all along. So yes, that title is in my office. Mark does not work in my office. Although if he does come up, he'll, you know, he'll go in the back room and maybe do some other work that he, has to, that he can occupy himself with because there's so many meetings up there. But that position does not work out of my office. It just happens to be that's where the salary. I can easily switch that to planning and economic development team. So now I'm down to five people in my office. One of the persons in that office is already the MIO position. It's only titled as our safety coordinator because it's the same salary, it's the same range, and it is, um, right now the job is being done by Noel Gutman, our emergency services director. So we budgeted that same salary. There's a shift, his salary is increased with the job of safety coordinator, but we budgeted that position again. So. As you're seeing, we don't have seven people in the office, and the position they're talking about has already been budgeted. Unfortunately, what you saw last night was typical prime example of partisan politics. Frustrating because we have a meeting prior to the legislature where the majority and minority teams get together, discuss items on the agenda, and discuss how things are going to go on or, or what sentiment is or how you know, things would, you know, would happen. Not once was it mentioned that this was going to be a, a partisan effort to you know, stop this or not to approve this. 
The individuals that spoke, not one of the persons had ever called me and says, what's going on? Can you explain this? No one spoke out against this at our committee meetings. It was discussed at multiple meetings. I felt I was using, you know, speaking ad nauseum over this position. No one asked any questions until last night. We have the media, we have the spotlight, we have the grandeur, and all of a sudden now we feel this is an inappropriate use of county resources. Well, talk to county department heads. They're going to tell you, I would rather take one of my clerical staff or another person who's, you know, moonlighting, if you will, trying to do our Facebook, trying to do their website, trying to do their media, you know, publications, focusing on one person and freeing those people back to do the jobs that they were hired to do. So again, disappointing that what they're doing is they focused on an interview and an article that was put published by our local media in the paper. That person, that reporter did not talk to any department heads to get an explanation. To touch on that just a little bit, why that's so important is because they criticized the increase in our IT department. Well, yeah, everything's going IT. Now everything's going technical. There's a lot more need for an IT department into county government. But prior to this, 10 years ago, we were paying ourselves for the job, if you will. So if I was an IT person, a staff member, and I worked in mental hygiene, social services in the county executive's office, a third of my salary was split up between each of those departments. What they did now is they took all of those IT positions and put it under the umbrella of IT, reduced salaries, reduced those costs in other departments and put it under the IT department. And if you talk to John D'Angelo, our director, he'll tell you we are down two positions from where we were 10 years ago. So that story was disappointing because they never asked the questions. They said, well, these are the numbers that we were given. I'm just going from the numbers. Pick up the phone and ask because you don't understand what the numbers were. It was, an, it was really an opinion piece is all it was. Their opinion as to where things were going and critical of my administration because we increased staff because our population's declining. What people are also failing to see, and just another side note is we are, there are more and more county services that are being required. Towns or villages or different entities are no longer providing those services. It falls back on the county. So in certain areas we have increased staffing because there's an increased need to, to, to provide services. So unfortunately, that's, you know, it's an opinion that people are going to, you know, kind of champion and push from as long as I'm the county executive that, uh, you know, I'm increasing staff while the population is decreasing, but the need for county services is increasing and we're meeting those needs. Mm-hmm. So not to belabor the point there, if we're going to look at, if we, I walked into the county executive's office today, I walked in and I, I would see, uh, I would see uh, your executive assistant, I'd see a uh, 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 a secretary? Yep. Um, are you private? Would I see a private confidential secretary? Right now, you're not going to see when we don't have the position. The person actually is in orientation today. That confidential secretary has been vacant intermittently throughout the last three years. Um, just for different opportunities, people have expanded. It's not a position. It's, uh, I'm going to say guaranteed in the resource assistant that we have in the, in the it was an operations uh, position, operations assistant. That's a CSEA position. That position stays no matter who is in Chautauqua County Executive's Office. The other two are what they call confidential management. So those work at the pleasure of the county executive, as it said. But really, we've reduced the cost of that, that third. Is it needed? Yes, it is, because our, our other two staff members are, are working very feverishly you know, throughout. So we will be you know, funding, actually filling that position. But if you walk in my office right now, you're going to find two people there, not, not seven. So very misleading to say, well, the county executive has seven people in the office. Um, you know, what I am looking into is p- 
previous administrations, you know, where they had as many as 12 people working in the county executive's office, uh, a little bit bigger, and actually as many bodies themselves were in that office. So uh, again, I'm not going to be critical. I'm moving past it. You know, people just need to ask the question. And very disappointing that the members of the legislature are going to take the word of a reporter who didn't talk to anybody over picking up the phone and asking me what's happening or coming into my office. I'll show you. There's not seven people there. And he explained where the numbers are. But unfortunately, partisan politics played out last night. But at the end, it was supported. It was passed. And actually, I already had somebody that's reaching out and really excited about uh, possibly filling that position. So uh, really excited as the opportunity moves forward. Okay. Moving on to uh, a larger topic, and I mean larger statewide, uh, the, the Governor Kathy Hochul gave her state-to-state address at the beginning of the month. Now we're getting so late in the month now that next week she'll give her budget address. But did you? Uh, was there anything of interest or concern in her address that she gave earlier? Certainly. If you look at the positives, you know, she is committed to increasing our mental health staff in New York State, committing money to mental health uh, programming. It's critical. Under the Cuomo administration, they closed mental health facilities. These people just went out on the street, and uh, I'm not sure what follow-up there was, what the transition was. So um, having said that, we've noticed there's an uptick in mental health concerns across Chautauqua County, and we're hoping that the governor understands that. I've been talking about this for the last two years now with our County Executives Association of New York, and I'm going to continue to push because we need more mental health uh, services in Chautauqua County and New York State. Uh, the other the other position she was committed to public safety uh, there is a push now for um, you know increasing tax exemptions for volunteer firefighters of which I've been one for 34 years I'm proud to say my son just joined the ranks uh, this week um, so you know men and women in the fire service have committed a tremendous amount of time over the years so to see a tax a tax uh, rate reduction um, a reduction in their property taxes if they should they volunteer uh, was really beneficial to try to increase our numbers because those demands are increasing every day. The other thing is she has committed to more state troopers. We know that the state troopers are a vital part of not only protecting the governor, but protecting all residents in New York. So it's critical that we have more law enforcement on the streets. Um, some of the things I've been more critical of, it's the housing. You know, the governor talked, you want to increase 800,000 units in New York State. Well, do we have 800,000 people that are going to move into those units? Because as we said, populations declined in New York State. It's not only Chautauqua County, right? It's not just, you know, the population's gone down here and other places. It's booming. It's dropped. New York City lost 300,000 residents. I mean, that's three times the population of our county. Um, so again, it's not just focused on, you know, Chautauqua County that we see population loss. But with this 800,000 new homes, where are we going to put them? And all we talk about is affordable housing, but we don't talk about new single-family homes. We're looking at multifamily homes. We're looking at affordable, but what is affordable in the terms of the governor's eyes? Is it, you know, again, Section 8 housing, we increase in subsidized housing more across New York State. What is important with that passage is the governor wants to now create a state committee that will review Project. So, for example, if there's a developer that wants to come into a particular town, let's say the town of Ellicott, and I'm just hypothetically using this, I'm not speaking of any of a position, um, so please don't read into this. But let's say somebody wants to come in and they want to put in this in housing. And the board says, well, it really doesn't fit. This isn't what we really want to use. Uh, we want to see different type, and we all vote it down. Well, this developer can then come into the state and say, I really want to develop in this town and I want to do it. So the governor's review committee would review it and say, oh, yep, you can go ahead and overrule the local, you know, you're basically taking away home rule for those that were elected to govern their towns and villages. So concern that 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 home rule is being taken away, um, you know, again, but 
she's looking at a in 1% increase annually upstate, 3% increase downstate. I don't know how she's going to measure that. You know, what are we we're looking at the total number of homes? Are we going to have a chalkboard tally? I don't know. Uh, you know, it's one of the things I've always questioned and had a concern of is, you know, we have some of the oldest housing stock in, in the entire nation. I mean, we've got places like Boston, Massachusetts, Jamestown, Virginia. I think the homes there have been, <laughs> been around a little bit longer than many of the homes here in Chautauqua County. So I understand where people are coming from. We do need to, uh, you know, refurb and, and focus on our blighted housing here and, and upgrading. You know, or if it needs to be demolished, we demolish and look for new housing to come up. But again, it's one of those things. I mean, geez, of all the places in the country, you know, Chautauqua County has the Jamestown has the, the you know the oldest housing stock in the nation. It's it's. I'm not sure where they get the numbers, but not not denying it could very well be true. But I need, think we need to focus on the housing and the governor's concern of of doing that is great. But it just at what cost? That's the concern I have, and the possibility of giving up home rule or overriding home rule is critical. Uh, the next piece we talked about is the governor's green energy initiative and. I've got a grave concern with that. When you look at the last power outages in the city of Buffalo, if, if that would have been the only way people power, you know, heat their homes, then we'd have a lot of trouble. Of course, critics of my statements on that said, well, kind of executive, you do realize there's an electric pilot light. And da, da. So, yeah, I understand there's an electric pilot light in your gas furnace, but if you were able to light that manually, which you can, you would then be able to heat your home. If it's electric, you have no choice. So people are going to split hairs on this, and unfortunately, that's just the way it is. But we know right now the current infrastructure will not support the push to electric the way the governor wants to do it. And there's, there's some growing concern. You know, I think giving, taking people's choice away. We have home heating oil. You've got LP. You've got natural gas. You have electric. Now we're going to say electric only. You know, we talk about choice everywhere else. You know, the biggest push, I mean, we'll... You know, is, uh, you know, I've heard the term, my body, my choice. Well, what about my home, my choice? Why, do I, why am I forced to use all electric appliance? If I want to use a gas dryer, if I want to use a gas stove, gas furnace, why should that be taken away? Because, you know, downstate we have, uh, you know, emissions that are, that are ramping up. It, one size does not fit all for New York State. We know this, so it's, it's frustrating that that's their new initiative moving forward. Do I feel we could have greener energy, greener than what we, yeah, I feel 100%. And, you know, I'm looking at things like micronuclear. If we could put a nuclear reactor inside of a naval ship to power our military for 25 years, I'm sure we can find a micronuclear facility that could power the city of Jamestown, the city of Dunkirk, Chautauqua County. Having said that, we're just down the road from the West Valley demonstration project. So right there is a critical reminder of how not to do things when it comes to nuclear power. So again, making sure that we don't misuse that, but the technology is increased in nuclear, the safety of nuclear is increased. And we don't need a three mile island. We don't need Indian River. We need just smaller micronuclear facilities that provide the energy cleanly to power you know, the areas and communities. So, Opportunities are there. Uh, I just don't know if forcing it down our throats by 2025 is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Moving on to something, and, and this interview will air uh, on, on tonight and then also again on Sunday. So, But I thought that this uh, service was worth mentioning, even though Sunday's listeners will be out of luck. Uh, you are holding a, a memorial and, and recognition service for Vietnam veterans on Friday, January uh, 27th. Can you tell us more about that? Um, so that was brought to the attention, my attention by uh, Legislator Niebel and thought it would be a great idea. How can we uh, recognize our Vietnam veterans who really were never given a proper homecoming? You think about it back in the 70s, there was a lot of turmoil, a lot of protest, a lot of spitting, you know, all, all those things, the negativity that took place. And when these men and women came back, they really were not afforded a proper return. Over time, we realized that 
you know, they, they did, did a tr- do a tremendous service. And unfortunately, over 50 people in Chautauqua County lost their lives during the Vietnam conflict and war. So again, we're going to recognize those. Um, you know, I'll have a personal tribute. My own father uh, did two tours in Vietnam from 67 to 68, 68 to 69. Uh, so he'll be there in attendance. I know a couple of others, um, you know, Vietnam veterans. So I ask all Vietnam veterans and Vietnam era veterans to please come to the Chautauqua County Courthouse tomorrow. Uh, we'll be right on the stairs in public. Hopefully the weather holds out. It's not too cold. Uh, you know, I, I know there were some people that wanted to come, but unfortunately one gentleman, because of his injuries that he sustained over 50 years ago in Vietnam, it's difficult to be outside in the cold for long periods of time. So uh, I think it's just fitting for our, our county residents in my office to recognize the men and women who dedicated their lives to defending our country. Um, just something that's long overdue, and I'm really, uh, really proud that we can make this happen tomorrow. All right. Well, County Executive Wendell, thank you so much for joining us today. Great. If there's one thing I can just say, you know, um, I, I saw it when I was sitting in the office. I know Jason spoke to it. Um, long time, great friend of mine and my family's, um, you know, Jackson Ron passed uh, suddenly this week. So, um, you know, as people are going through, just t- t- take a minute and, um, you know, reflect on, on individuals that we know. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. Um, with Jack, it was a, just such a sudden thing that happened with a man who's in, in such incredible shape. Um, yeah, question. I, I <clears throat> if you Google, I, I did do have Jackson Rom radio on Pandora, so I, I went to listen the other day when I got the news, and and the first song that popped up was Four on the Floor," which is a song he wrote about a classmate and a band member that lost his life in a car accident. Um, so the first question, you know, who's going to write a song? You know, Jackson wrote a song about Amy Rom, wrote a song about Rod after he was tragically killed. So uh, somebody did pen a song uh, to uh, using the lyric, using the music from Four on the Floor." Uh, for Jackson, but you know, his, he was a, he was a, you know, woven into the fabric of this community. People would come home and um, go to his show at the casino and then run the firecracker on the 4th of July. So again, hats off, you know, and, and uh, thoughts and prayers go out to his wife, uh, Teresa and his son, Asher, but also to sister Amy, his mom, his dad, his uh, stepfather, everybody that uh, Susie, everybody that knew him, um, you know, really loved the guy and, uh, you know, just heartfelt thanks, uh, you know, to, to him for sharing his music with us, but, you know, very unfortunate and just ask people to take time. We never know what's going to happen to us. That's so true. And so, and once again, County Executive Wendell, thank you. Thank you so much.